Morning, everybody. So lovely to see faces in the building. It's been a long year of empty seats. Um, as Pastor Mark said earlier, we're continuing this Healthy Mind series, and I just want to share with you a resource that I think you'll find really helpful. Um, it's this book by Craig Rochelle, and it's called Winning the War in Your Mind. And it has been a valuable resource for us as we've been putting together the information needed for this series on the healthy mind. So we've looked at the um, replacement principle. We've looked at the rewiring principle. And today we want to look at the reframe principle. So I want to start by reading a scripture to you that you know really well. Join along with me. You probably don't even need to read it in your Bibles. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not depend on or lean on your own understanding. Seek his will in all that you do, and he will show you the path to take. And I want to just hone in on the do not depend on your own understanding. That is a crucial part of today's message. So a little bit of information about me, something that you probably don't know about me, is that I have really poor eyesight and rely completely on the use of glasses and contact lenses in order to be able to see your lovely faces. And a few years ago, I went for a routine checkup and eye test. And I got there a little bit early, and the assistant took me to one side, and she said, we need to just do a few pre-checks on you, um, just to look at the health of your eye before you have your test. Not a problem. And I sat down, and she said, um, there's just one more test I need to do on you. I know you've had these done before, but one more test. Um, I said, oh, well, why is that then? Well, on account of your age, Mrs. Easton, we need to start doing further tests now, because you're getting to that stage. I thought, great, make me feel great today. Um, did the test, everything was fine. Went through to the consultation room, saw the optician, did the eye test. And he then proceeds to tell me that I need a slight alteration in my prescription, just a little bit more strength to help me see that in the distance. And um, by the way, we're starting to see signs that you are going to need a reading prescription soon. You're probably okay right now, but very soon you're going to need a reading prescription. And I was just really shocked by that information because I had not noticed any changes. I didn't feel it was difficult to do close work. Um, and he must have seen this utter look of confusion and surprise on my face and then said, well, you are getting to that age, Mrs. Easton. I'm like, seriously, this is not how I wanted this day to pan out. Um, do I need a different optician? Well, I left that day not really believing that that was going to be a reality for me, but literally within about three months, I was back at the opticians. I can't read properly. I'm pushing the books further away. My arms are not long enough anymore. All of those telltale signs that I needed a reading prescription. And then he said to me, well, you're getting to that age, Mrs. Easton, where it's time for very focals. I cry. So the issue here was that I had a prescription that helped me to see clearly. It helped me to see everything in the distance. But now that lens was actually beginning to distort that which was right in front of me close up. It was not fit for purpose anymore. 
a little bit like wearing a pair of sunglasses in a darkened room. Everything seems dull and gloomy because it's not designed to be used in that environment. So what happens if we approach our day-to-day -day life and all the circumstances that are contained in that day-to-day -day life, looking at situations and evaluating experiences through a defective filter or a, a defective lens? What happens is that our perception of what is completely positive and normal will appear negative and distorted. If I were to invite you to church, and before you came into church, I told you, you know, by the way, there's one person over there who doesn't actually like you. They told me that they think you're a bit strange. Just thought you might want to know that. Um, I can guarantee you that your relationship with that person would be affected by what I had just told you. Because every time that person didn't greet you or say hello to you, you'd be thinking, they really don't like me. Everything that she told me is, I can see evidence of that. And then later on, I tell you, you know what, I was, I was only pulling your leg. <laughs> they, don't, they actually do like you. Um, I just thought I'd have a bit of fun. But what happens in that moment is that you have taken what turned out to be an untruth, a lie, and you have allowed it to form an opinion about a person, a relationship, a situation. You've believed that it has become a filter that you have used to come to a conclusion, albeit a false one. You see, a lie that is believed as truth will affect your life as though it is the truth. And this is something that scientifically is called cognitive bias. It's something that we all do multiple times in a day. Sometimes we do it unconsciously. Sometimes we do it knowingly. And it can be all sorts of different things from knowing the, the things that you like the best to eat or the color that is your favorite, um, the places that you like to go on holiday, or it can be some really deep emotional cognitive bias that affects the way that you interact with people or it affects your viewpoint about a situation. Um, the definition of a cognitive bias is this. It's a systematic error in our thinking. It occurs when we are processing information, interpreting that information, and then we begin to make judgments and decisions based on that interpretation that is an error. You know, if you um, had a, let's say, a work situation where somebody is needing to feed back some information to two employees, the information that is given out is the same, it's reality, and those two people will react differently depending on how they are viewing the situation. So person number one goes, oh, okay, I didn't realize that. I'm going to change what I do so that this is more effective and it makes it better for the company or the organization. And then person number two reacts, I can't believe they've just said that to me. Picking on me again, this is not fair. I've done everything that I could. I worked so hard to do this. This is just typical of everybody never thinking what I do is good enough. One thing was said, there was one reality, but two different perspectives because of a lens that it was filtered through. And this bias that we can have in lots of different areas has a major impact on our relationship, not just with each other, 
but with our relationship with God. You see, if we have a God who is true, who is steadfast, who is faithful, who loves us more than anybody else, whose promises are kept, and we have this reality in front of us, if we approach him with a filter that says, I'm not sure I believe that aspect, it will have an impact on our relationship. If we have, for instance, a dysfunctional family unit where your relationship with your earthly father is really poor, you've never had any support, you've never felt love, it's understandable that you would have that same view of God. How can my heavenly father love me when I've never been on the receiving end of an earthly father loving me? So we see that the filter affects the way that we approach God. A filter, a bias, is really easy to spot in other people as well. And you'll probably think, you know, you look across and see somebody do something, you think, oh, I know why they've done that. They've done that because of this, 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 and this. But it's not so easy to see in ourselves, partly because we don't want to, partly because it means looking intently and saying, I need to do something about this. So if we don't know that there is a filter that we are applying to a situation, we won't see the effect that that filter has. And then we begin to accept that that filter is making something different to how it actually is. So the first thing that we have to do is identify the filter. A few examples for you. Maybe you've grown up, had a hard time in school, you were not the popular kid, and you were told you'll never amount to much. Maybe you were not very good academically, and the teacher told you that you were stupid. You're not intellectual, you'll never pass your exams, you'll never get a good job. And that has become something that you've carried with you through life. It has become something that you've allowed as a reason to stop you from pursuing something bigger. Maybe you've been hurt in relationships. People let you down. And that always happens because we're human. But do you get to a point of saying, I've been hurt too many times, I'm going to keep closed. And I'm not going to let anybody in. And I'm actually not even going to let God in either because I'm not sure whether he will hurt me. There are all sorts of different things that we carry and that we use to analyze our situations based on what we have experienced, based on what has been said to us. So before we can change what happens, we need to identify those filters. And this is the second part. It's called cognitive reframing. So what happens here is once we've identified this filter that is causing us to view things in a different, distorted way, we then begin to correct the irrational thinking that comes as a result of that distortion. I want to share with you a story that a friend of mine told me about who's in stewardship ministry in America. And as is normal, we get people contacting us and asking to chat about their finances. Can you give me some assistance in this area? And he had a lady come to see him 
who was in her 40s. Um, and when he asked her, what is the problem? How can I help you? She said, I'm just not able to save money at the end of the month. I'm really struggling. So he thinks this is a straightforward session where I just explain how a budget works and then send her away and she'll start working on that and everything will be fine. But as they began to chat, he found out that she was very, very intelligent and had a lot of qualifications and she was a successful lawyer earning three quarters of a million dollars. And suddenly he's thinking, this doesn't quite add up to me. How can somebody who's so intelligent, so gifted in their profession, and earning a lot of money find it impossible to save? So he began to ask more questions. And then discovered a little bit of a back history for her family. And like many people, she started in a family unit that was, it was not dysfunctional, it was a healthy family unit. They just didn't have a lot of money. My family was like that growing up. We didn't have things for um, luxury items. It was the bare essentials. And sometimes it meant, you know, extra jobs being taken on to finance just the bare essentials. And that was her background. And what had happened as she got older and started to get a job and work, her father would take her wages in their entirety and use them for the benefit of the family. It contributed to the pot, so to speak. And as she got older and she became independent and she moved out of home, she carried with her this experience to such an extent that it began to affect her actions. And so each month, she'd have a really healthy paycheck, and she would just spend, 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 because in the back of her mind, experience told her, someone will take it away from me if I don't spend it. If I spend it, I've got to benefit from it, and I haven't lost it. Completely irrational thinking. And yet it had such a tight grip on her that she could not see the connection. And so as they began to chat and minister to her, they began to unpack this a little bit more so that she could begin, begin to see things in a different light. Often what we tend to do is we will look at the outcome. So for her, it was the inability to save money. And she, she would try and fix that. Well, I could get maybe a promotion. I can get a better salary but it's only a symptom of the problem, and so it never solves anything. And so we backtrack a little bit, and we look at what am I doing that is causing there to be no money left, and that's that I'm spending. So we can, we can adjust the spending, make it less, and then there should be money left over at the end. But again, whilst we get some results from that, it will only ever be short-term. And the reason it is short-term is Romans 12, verse 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the Greek word for transformed in this text is metamorphosis. And it's the process that leads to an outward, permanent change. Not inward, outward. Not semi-permanent or short-term, but permanent change. But this can only happen if we choose to renew our minds. And we renew our minds by taking off 
that distorted filter that makes things seem blurred or out of focus or darker than they should be, and saying, God, I'm going to pick up your pair of glasses with your prescription in and see things the way that you do. The way that you see things, God, is healthy. Your attitude is different to mine. I'm not going to depend on and lean on my understanding of things. And so we have to choose, okay? This doesn't just happen for us. It doesn't just click overnight. We have to choose to not hold on to the past experience. We are not in any shape or form denying what has happened. We are not denying the difficulty that you've encountered, the pain that was there. We're just saying, I am not going to let that be what determines how this next season pans out. Even if it looks like the identical situation, it is a unique, different situation, and I'm going to choose to see it differently. Something that we can do practically in this area is to take a step back. You know that phrase that says you can't see the wood for the trees. If you are in the middle of a forest, all you can see is trees. You can't even see the sky. You can't even see the lay of the land and where you are and get a perspective. And you need to just stop and take a step back and say, hold on a minute. I am not going to react impulsively in this moment because if I do, I can guarantee I will pick up the distorted pair of lenses and start viewing this situation in a way that I shouldn't. And so by doing that, we can then begin to look at what is that first gut reaction that I have that's unhealthy. I can choose to put that down. I can choose to deal with that and not accept the lie that it is and say, okay, God, I'm going to pick up your vision, your prescription, and I'm going to choose to see this differently. Last week, I shared a bit of a testimony about a school experience where we were trying to get our daughter into a particular school, didn't get in, it was a closed door, went to appeal, didn't get in, it was another closed door, and it felt like this was just the end. A very difficult, disappointing period of time for us. And a situation came up where somebody got a place in the school that my daughter knew, and I was really angry about this. It was like the, the switch just flipped. And I, uh, I, you know, if you know Toy Story, Mrs. Potato Head, I put my angry eyes on. And um, I was ready to get the laptop out and just send an email to the head teacher and start complaining that we live closer. I'd gone through all the process of lots of correspondence and an appeal process, and I deserved it, and I'm a Christian, and this, 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 and this. All these reasons why I was entitled to have this position. And with all of this noise competing for my attention, a still small voice told me, don't even think about it. Don't go there. You can ask the head teacher where you are on the waiting list, and that's it. Leave it. And that was difficult because everything in me wanted to fight. And I had to actively say, no, I'm going to do what you said, God. I'm going to choose the better way. Within days, the door flew open and we got a place. You know, my husband has had something similar in a work situation where everything was going wrong. Everybody around him was complaining about the situation. And he felt God strongly say to him, no, you're not going to complain. You're going to suck it up and you're going to get on with things and you're going to put a smile on your face and enjoy it. 
And within a short period of time, because he had chosen what we know now to reframe in that moment and see things from a godly perspective, doors flew open for him. See, God doesn't always answer our prayer requests immediately. He sometimes doesn't answer them at all. Um, sometimes it's about timing. Sometimes it's about a bit of a test to see whether or not we are ready for something, whether we are experienced enough. Maybe he's just trying to develop us to get us to a stage of walking before we can run. Um, there are all sorts of reasons why God doesn't answer our prayers. But in those difficult situations, I want to encourage you to take a step and look back and say, God, what have you done in my life that I am not seeing right now, that I'm not noticing? Because I guarantee you, whether you see it or not, God is at work in every moment of your day. His hand is upon everything. There are things that he's keeping from you for a season because they will harm you if you have them right now. You're just not ready. And we have to get to this point of putting on a filter, which I call the God knows best filter. And it's difficult because a lot of the time we think we know best and we think God should do what we want him to do. But every time I choose to take that filter off and I say, God, I'm choosing to accept that you know best for me because you love me like nobody else. You're the only one who sees what's around the corner. You're the only one who understands. That that brings me to a point of complete submission. And if I can thank him in that process, that's so much more powerful when I look at his goodness in every situation that is in front of me. I just want to invite the worship team to come back and join me because we're going to come to a point in a few moments where I want us to really begin to declare God's goodness in our lives. You know, during this pandemic, I don't think there is a single Christian in the world who has not prayed at some point, God, take this virus away. And yet he hasn't. We're still dealing with it and its effects. And we can choose to see that through a filter of, this has been the worst thing in history or the worst thing in my lifetime. Look at all the things that I've lost. Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe you've lost loved ones and friends. Maybe your situation has been turned upside down because of this pandemic. Or you can choose to remove that filter and say, God, what have you done through this pandemic that I've not spotted? The fact that this service today is being live streamed is a result of God's goodness in a pandemic. It was something that we had thought about doing, but we just never got around to it because we were so busy. And with everything being stripped away, suddenly some things were done because we had no choice. I've been able to personally teach and preach in other churches up and down the country over Zoom simply because there was a pandemic and that was the only way. Had I have reached that many people before? Probably not. And I have to begin to say, God, you are doing things even in the most difficult areas, even in the times where I'm in pain, I'm upset, you're doing something incredible. 
our past is reframed by the way that we choose to see it, by looking for God's goodness in everything. I had something um, flash up on my phone, some of these just quotes and general pieces of information, and it said, for every negative bias that you have, you need five positive things to cancel it out. You probably need a lot more than five, to be honest. But for every difficulty that you face, you need to be declaring God's goodness in that situation at least five times more in order to be able to deal with that. What are the things that you've taken for granted that God is doing, that God has already done, that you need to thank him for and see as a blessing rather than as difficulty? When we reframe our past, it allows us to change today. It allows us to have a different focus on how we approach that which is right in front of us, rather than writing it off and saying, this is just going to be a repeat of the last situation that I went through. So what about our future? If we reframe our past and change our today, what could we do for the future? And this is all about pre-framing. This is about choosing a different mindset that says, I am not going to judge tomorrow based on yesterday. I'm not going to write tomorrow off because I'm carrying with me this bias, this filter that tells me all relationships are doomed, that tells me I can't study, I can't be educated. I'm going to let tomorrow speak for itself and I'm going to give God an opportunity to show himself in that situation. Something that challenged me while I was preparing this was just a simple thought about tomorrow. Tomorrow is Monday. And for a lot of people, Monday is Monday. We're coming out of a weekend and it's back to the grind of Monday. For us, the weekend is a lot busier. It's not a a two-day period of relaxation. And Monday is very busy for us in church because we are assessing what happened. We are looking at all the things that we need to follow up on and all the people that we need to talk to. We're planning for the rest of the week. We're planning ahead to next weekend. And it can be one of those days where you are nonstop from meeting to meeting or activity to activity and you feel like you've achieved nothing and I would for so long refer to Mondays as manic Mondays and just write it off and it really got me thinking when I got to this part because I thought I'm already deciding that Monday is a non-starter before I've even got there how about on Sunday afternoon and Sunday evening as I'm preparing for the things that I need to do tomorrow that I just let it be Monday that I don't bring any baggage into it, that I don't bring anything into Monday that shouldn't be there. And I allow God to really surprise me and let it be something that is a reflection of truth rather than a distorted image because of the way that I've chosen to look at it. I want to invite you to stand as we prepare to declare God's goodness over us in our lives, in our past, present, and future. 
begin to identify your bias. Start to reframe your thinking. What is it that God says in this situation? And how is that different? How is that contrary to my viewpoint right now? How is that unhelpful? Reframe your thinking. Put on God's godly perspective. And then begin to pre-frame your future by looking for God's goodness, by looking at his fingerprint and his hand at work in every area of your life. Let's worship him. Let's declare his goodness. And I want to encourage you to read Psalm 145 later on today and just keep speaking his goodness over yourself. Let him pour into you that strength that you need to be able to take off that wrong perspective and change what happens for today and tomorrow. Let's worship him.